When I was a kid, we, we played this game at school uh, from time to time called Follow the Leader. Have you heard of it? Of course you have. We've all, did you play Follow the Leader when you were a kid? You know, it wasn't my favorite. I'd rather be playing wiffle ball or kickball, anything other than Follow the Leader. But you know the one. Someone is selected to be the leader, right? Everybody else is supposed to line up behind the leader, and then what would happen is the leader would lead all the other kids around the playground, you know, and, and I, I, there were certain leaders that were better than others. Man, some of these guys, we'd be going up the slide, down the slide, under the bridge, through the swings, you know, we'd be finding every dirt hole, every, every puddle, I mean, we were, we just, we got the whole playground in there, but you get the idea, it's following the one who is leading. The dictionary.com defines follow as to go or come after, to move behind in the same direction, to conform to, comply with, or act in accordance with, to obey, to imitate or copy. Now that's a lot, but we get the general idea of what a follower is. And tonight the question is simple. Are you a follower of Jesus are you a follower of Jesus and if you are my next question is is what kind of a follower of Jesus are you say pastor Dave I'm not quite sure what you mean well we're going to talk about that tonight as we see different types of followers in the the earthly ministry of Jesus well for the past few weeks we've been focusing or perhaps I should say refocusing on fixing our eyes on Jesus and tonight as we start this new series from Matthew 5 through 7, it's entitled Sermon on the Mount, A Kingdom Upside Down. Next, next uh, Saturday, I'm going to explain why this kingdom that Jesus teaches about here is an upside down kind of a kingdom. Well, the Sermon on the Mount ranks among the most well-known and beloved passages of Scripture. It was given during uh, Jesus' early public ministry, and it's by far the longest explanation of what it means to be a follower of Jesus to live as a follower of him now not only did Jesus proclaim the good news he also called a few disciples who he could train for the work of the kingdom and in this section leading up to the Sermon on the Mount we find these two brothers we just read the passage Peter and Andrew they're working uh, they were on the job they were casting a net into the sea they're fishermen uh, fishing was their means of li uh, livelihood it was their occupation right verse 19 tells us that jesus says to them follow me and i'm going to make you fish for people well within just 40 months or so these men go from being fishermen right? Their whole world wrapped around boats and nets and hooks and, and fish and, and all of that. In just a short amount of time, they become leaders of this movement that begins to expand throughout the Roman world. As the gospel goes forward, these men are at the forefront of all of that movement after Jesus Christ is crucified and ascends and goes back to heaven. Well, verse 20 tells us that they left their nets and they followed him. Verses 20 and 22, as we saw a moment ago, James and John, they do the very same. In fact, there were others. There were 12. Uh, in fact, there were more than just those 12 that we see throughout the Gospels 
many who followed, many disciples who followed Jesus. So before we dive into the content of the Sermon on the Mount, let's think about the audience. Right? Who is Jesus speaking to? I mean, let's just put it this way. We're the audience right now. That audience, they're gone. They're, they're all, they've all moved on. They've all passed on. But we are now the audience that is going to listen to Jesus' sermon. I'd like for us to look at the audience and, and try to decipher who these different types of followers were and how that might reflect on us. And what I hope is that as we look at these four different categories of followers of Jesus, I hope that each one of us can identify which type of a follower of Jesus we are and which category of a follower of Jesus that we would hope to endeavor to become, to be. So let me begin with the first. The first type, number one, is the casual follower. Here's the, the, the thought here. Followers, uh, these casual followers, they follow along with the crowd out of curiosity or fascination. You know, almost everywhere that Jesus went during his public ministry, there was this crowd, right? Uh, a large uh, body of people that would follow. Uh, some of them were just curious. Some of them were desperate. Um, some of them were, were hopeful. We'll explain why as we continue. Uh, some of them were just simply amazed. They were fascinated with Jesus and what he was accomplishing, what he was doing so we see that here we saw it in verse number 25 uh, we saw it in chapter 5 and verse 1 there are the crowds and we see the crowds all the way through the gospel of Matthew uh, in chapter 8 and verse 1 it says that Jesus comes down from the mountain and large crowds follow him in chapter 8 and verse 18 after uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law it says that from the town they brought him many demon-possessed people and sick uh, they, they were brought to Jesus, and he healed them in front of this large crowd. In chapter 9 and verse 8, Jesus is back in his, his own hometown where he heals a paralyzed man. It says that the crowds were there. They saw this miracle take place. In chapter 9 and verse 33, after driving out more demons, it says the crowds were amazed. In chapter 9 and verse 36, Jesus sees the multitudes, and he's moved with compassion on the crowd why it says because they were distressed and they were dejected they were like sheep without a shepherd in chapter 11 uh, as jesus goes out to teach and to preach in the towns crowds formed in chapter 12 again a large crowd followed him and he healed them all in chapter 13 he's sitting by the sea and uh, such a large crowd began gathering around him that he got in a boat. Remember that one? And he pushes off so he could teach them from on the boat. In chapter 14, again, Jesus, this large crowd is following him, and Jesus feeds the, the multitude of, of 5,000 plus people from a small lunch. In chapter 15, again, large crowds, they come to him. Uh, including the lame, it says, the blind, the crippled, those unable to speak, and many others. And in chapter 15, Jesus feeds another crowd, that time of 4,000 plus people with seven loaves and, and two fishes. 
So all throughout the Gospels, and you could actually keep going, throughout the Gospels, it seems as if the, the crowds, they're always there. In fact, some of the time, Jesus actually tries to get away from the crowd. He, he, he escapes the, the crowds at times. But, but the crowds represented the common people. The, the crowds were comprised of mostly Israelites, uh, Judeans, Galileans, right? Uh, there were some non-Israelites. There were some Gentiles in the group. Uh, likely these were poor people. They were peasants. They were farmers. They were fishermen, the lower classes of society. Uh, but there were some tax collectors in the crowd. Uh, the tax collectors were hated for collaborating with the Roman government. There were prostitutes in the crowd. There were those that were labeled sinners by the religious elites. Mostly, these were nameless, faceless people who acted more like, could we say, fans, fascinated fans than dedicated followers. There were some things that fascinated them. Let me give you a couple thoughts. Well, I think first there was a fascination with the multitude, with the crowd itself. Have you ever noticed how when people gather, when a, when a crowd starts to form, it attracts more and more attention? Have you noticed this? Uh, some time ago, I saw this on TV, they, this, um, this kind of undercover kind of thing where they hide the cameras and they don't let people know what they're doing. They, they set up these people herders you know what a people herder is? Like what they put in the bank, right? In the bank to form a line, right? And they, they're those, the, the, they go from pole to pole, right? And they, they, they make two, you know, two sides and you kind of have to follow this. Well, they put people herders. And then uh, they just asked a, a couple people to stand in line. And what happened was, is people in the mall, this is in a mall, crowded mall, people would come along and they'd see this line forming. They'd think, I wonder what this is for. And they'd get in line. And before you, this is all on camera, right? Before you know it, this is a long line. And people are getting into line simply because they're like, hey, I don't know what's going on here, but let's get in line because it must be good because look at everybody in line. Well, what they ended up doing was they ended up leading the line all the way through the mall. They just took it for a walk. People had no idea where they were going, but they were just following the crowd. There's something fascinating to us when a crowd forms that we just feel the need to to want to know what's going on and want to be a part of that and to some degree there was some of this going on when Jesus was conducting his public ministry there were folks who just simply followed simply because hey man where's everybody going what's what's going on and they jumped in the crowd so there was some of that then there were those who were fascinated with the message of Jesus itself. It tells us in, in chapter 4 and verse 23 that Jesus went about teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching, what was he preaching? The good news of the kingdom, right? Jesus is, is preaching good news. These people have been oppressed. They are under this, this heavy legal weight of the Pharisees, all the rules and regulations that, that the religious elites of their day had put on them. And Jesus is going around. He's, pre he's preaching a, a message of, uh, that was different than what the Pharisees were teaching them and the scribes were teaching them down at the local synagogue. They, they were interested in that. Jesus, of course... Was not only, it wasn't only the content of his message, but it was the character of who he was. 
It was the compassion that Jesus spoke with. Jesus was a master teacher, the greatest to ever preach on planet Earth. And when Jesus spoke, crowds showed up to hear what he had to say. I think there was also some fascination, of course, with his miracles. With the miracles. Uh, it says in verse 24, that they brought to him all those who were afflicted and he healed them. And you see this all the way through uh, the Gospels, right? Six, sick people were healed. The, the lame could walk. The deaf could hear. Lepers were cleansed. The demon-possessed were being delivered. I mean, listen, uh, who wouldn't want to see that if, if, you, if you lived in a very uh, poor kind of a, a place? And you know, this was before TV. This was before Instagram, right? A, a way to follow everybody and find out what's going on in the world and YouTube. And, I mean, the, great, the, the best thing going in town was, hey, man, people are getting healed over there, right? And so there was this fascination. So, uh, you know, there was a crowd appeal. There was some communication appeal. There was a captivation appeal with, the, with the, the miracles that were happening. And then there were those who were simply fascinated with the man. And we could call this celebrity appeal. You see, as Jesus' popularity grew, so did the multitudes, right? News, news spread. There's this miracle worker. There's this, this teacher, uh, and people would show up simply to get their eyes to see who this celebrity in their mind was. Celebrities draw crowds, right? They do. If they announce that so-and-so, some football star, or, or some celebrity is going to be down here at Arrowhead Mall, you know what? There's going to be a line forming, isn't there? There's going to be people who are going to be there to get a signature, to get a picture with them, right? Celebrities draw a crowd they were captivated by Jesus, but what we're going to notice is that many of them were never converted. They were never converted. They listened to what Jesus said about the kingdom. They listened to what Jesus said about his father. They listened to what Jesus said about eternity. He spoke truth to them. They witnessed his supernatural power, but in the, but in the end, here's what you have to recognize. In the end, it was the crowds who rejected Jesus. In fact, it was the crowds who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Now, is that to say everyone in these crowds early in Jesus' ministries were, were in the crowd saying, crucify him, crucify him? No, of course not. But with a general kind of understanding, if you followed the crowd, you very well could have been there wowed by his miracles, but yelling to have him killed at the end of his ministry, right? So in the end, many of those in the crowd rejected him. Uh, this is what John says. He says that Jesus came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Generally speaking, the people that Jesus spoke to in the crowds, the multitudes that saw him, generally speaking, they rejected Jesus. 2,000 years later, the crowd of casual followers of Jesus have, it's grown exponentially. I mean, for 2,000 years, Christianity has been on the move. Now there are, there are millions upon millions upon millions, hundreds of millions of, of Christians around the world. And, and what, I, what I think 
what I think I see, do you see this in our world today? You find that there are many folks who, who would claim to be a Christ follower of one sort or another, but the question is, is do they really have a relationship with Jesus? Is it nothing more than a fascination? Perhaps it's just following a crowd to church. Hey, everybody in town, we all go to church, so we go to church. Maybe it's just, well, I grew up in Sunday school, so I go to church, right? No real personal faith, no personal relationship with Jesus. More of a casual follower, an interest, a fascination, a fan, even a fan perhaps, but no relationship with him. Listen, if your, if your relationship with Jesus is little more than just being a fascinated fan, realize he came to be your Savior and your Lord. So there's the first group. The second category is the cautious follower. The cautious follower, and here's the idea. The cautious follower follows until following costs something. Now, to see the cautious follower, we have to turn a couple pages. We have to go to Matthew chapter 8. So if you want to turn there, it's also here on the screen. If you look on the, uh, the right-hand side of the screen there, the words are there. But this is Matthew chapter 8, 19 and 20. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, who is this guy? Well, he's a scribe. You have to understand, the scribes, these were smart guys. These were the lawyers. These were the guys who they understood the Mosaic Law. They had degrees in it, right? They studied it. They, they were some of the most educated religious men of the day, and they were teachers themselves. What I think, happened here i think that this scribe was probably following in the crowd as a casual follower as many did and he wanted more of jesus he wanted a he wanted a personal relationship with jesus he wanted to know jesus more he wanted to to hear more of his teaching uh, i think for all we know he had pure motives we have no reason to doubt this man's motives at all he had a desire to keep company with Jesus. What does he say? He says he's willing to follow Jesus anywhere, wherever you go. Wherever that is, Lord, I will follow you. And so he seems to step out of the casual crowd, willing to take his following to the next level. He wants more of Jesus. He yearns to follow Jesus. He's been listening to Jesus. No doubt he's considered Jesus perhaps to be the most superior teacher he's ever heard. He's heard a lot of them, but he knows that this teacher is different. And so, being enormously attracted by the teaching of Jesus and his abilities, he steps out of the crowd and he wants to go with Jesus everywhere he goes. This is what disciples did in that day. They left things and they followed their teacher and they learned from that teacher. Well, let's think about these what it means to be this cautious follower. You know, while many casual followers of Jesus are content observing from a distance, some, like this scribe, come to the place where they know that there's more than that. They say they want more of a relationship with Jesus. They talk about following Jesus. 
They seem to be willing to follow Jesus, you know, absolutely anywhere. And this is the, the game that the, the scribe talks here. Again, I'm, I'm not doubting his, his motives. But he, he talks this way. But when it comes right down to it, here's what you have to notice. Jesus doesn't seem impressed. In fact, if you look at Jesus' response, Jesus isn't like, that's awesome. High five. Let's go. Why, why does Jesus not seem impressed? Why does Jesus not say, yes, let's go. Follow me. Why did Jesus not offer him the same invite he gave to Peter and John? Perhaps he was giving that invite broadly. I don't think that he was. And I think the reason is this. Because Jesus knows this man's heart. He knows that this man has something that he's holding on to that he just would not let go of. You see, Jesus' response here in verse 20, he says this. Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What kind of a response is, is that? You know, remember playing sport, you know, playing like kickball in the, in, the, in the street, you know, and if somebody wanted to be on your team, you kind of, that was like, yeah, that's great. Would you say something like that to the guy who wants to be on your team? Well, listen, it's not all roses being on my team. You're going to get bloodied and, you know, you're going to fall down and it's going to, no. That's not, what is Jesus doing here? Well, what it seems to me is that Jesus wants this man to understand that to follow him would mean hardship. It would mean not even having a comfy pillow at night to, to lay his head on, a roof over his head. What is Jesus doing? He's explaining the cost involved in following him. And you know what? That's the last time we see this guy. Was, did he still follow the multitude? Perhaps. That's the last we hear about him in the gospel. It's kind of like walking into a fancy restaurant. Have you ever done this? My wife and I have done this. You walk into a restaurant and, and they have the menus up front, you know, or maybe even sit down and you look at the menu and you're like, Ugh, sticker shock. Have you ever had sticker shock in a restaurant? Have you ever walked out of a place? You know, and, and you're, that, it's the same kind of thing. Like, yeah, hey, this looks like a great place. You walk in, you look at the menu, you see the price, you're like, cost too much, we're out of here. This is the same idea. More excitement? Yes. More of the spectacular? Absolutely. But very cautious when it sounds, sounds like it might actually begin to cost something to follow Jesus. See, it's easier to talk about Jesus than it is actually following Jesus. I think cautious followers often would go to a service, would hear a message, would even feel compelled to want more of a relationship with Jesus and would talk about committing themselves to Jesus and surrendering all, but always seem to stop short of the demands of following Christ because they're greater than they can accept. Well, here's the third type. So, so the casual follower first offers no commitment. The cautious follower offers commitment to a point 
talks about committing to Jesus, but then discovers it's too costly, not to their comfort level. The third type is the conditional follower. And if you're still in Matthew chapter 8, you just go to the next verse there, verses 21 and 22. Here's the truth here. Uh, The conditional follower follows until there's a conflict of interest. So the cautious until it costs too much. The conditional when there's a conflict of interest. Verse 21, another disciple says, Lord, first let me go bury my father. The scribe exits. This guy, another guy stands forward. Notice it does say that this man is a disciple, likely not one of the 12, probably would have given his name if he were. Well, this guy's different than the scribe that just walked away because it was going to cost too much. This guy perhaps has already sacrificed something. He probably just heard the conversation that Jesus had with the scribe. And he's like, I've already counted the costs. I'm willing to pay whatever it costs to, to follow Jesus. And this guy even sounds spiritually, calls him Lord, right? Implies ownership and authority. However, he seems only willing to continue to follow Jesus, listen, on his own terms. What does he say? Let me first go do what I need to do, and then I will follow you. So as we think about the conditional followers, they live with a me-first philosophy. A me-first philosophy. Me-first What I need to do, my life, master, let me take care of my business before I get around to taking care of your business. Now listen, is his hesitation legitimate? I would say so. It seems very legitimate, caring for your parents. Yeah, that's essential. Uh, His father was uh, either already dead or on the verge of death. This seems legitimate, a legitimate need. His problem, though, was divided attention. That's the, that's the problem. And Jesus knows the heart, right? He knows exactly what's going on here, and he just cuts right to the chase. You know, that's, a, that's the beauty about you know, dealing with Jesus. He, there's no fine print. He just gets right to the heart of the matter. And the problem here was just a divided attention. He felt God's call. When he felt that, he looked at the situation He didn't yield immediately, and that's often what happens. The man's circumstances and problems overwhelmed him, and he wanted to wait and handle them. And as soon as everything was handled, as soon as all of his problems were taken care of, then he would go and follow Jesus. This is is a, a very common, very common follower of Jesus. We have so many commitments. Aren't we just overly committed in our life? Our commitment's wrong. Is it wrong to, to deal with many of the things that we have to deal with in life? Absolutely not. But what happens, and I, th- what, I think what Jesus is getting at here, is oftentimes we just put Jesus in second place. We just push Jesus out of the way long enough to take care of our business. What happens here? Look at verse 22. But Jesus says to him, follow me and let the dead bury the dead. You say, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Can't followers of Jesus bury their dead parents? 
Well, Jesus, he, what he's looking at, Jesus sees just a, a partial commitment. He sees his lack of trust in the Lord. Does God expect us to care for our parents, church? Yes. He demands. Jesus demands this, this immediate response, an immediate loyalty that we put him first and that we follow him with this sense of urgency. Jesus was saying that a partial commitment to him was not enough. It had to be a total commitment to him that following Jesus means abandoning all, all of self, all of the world for him and his cause. You see, Jesus is Lord. He is the master. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18, Paul wrote this. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have, listen, first place in everything. First place in everything. Church, this is what Jesus is calling us to. Still to this day, we are called to give him first place in everything in life. Well, that brings us to the fourth type of follower, and that is the committed follower. This, this follower follows with an unconditional surrender and obedience. We see this in Peter and Andrew. We see this in James and John. Jesus calls them to follow him, and what do they do? They immediately leave their nets, and they follow him. They, they, they walk away from the boat, their father's sitting in the boat. Again, you have to understand what that had to be. This was, this was a really big step for these guys. To walk away from their very livelihood to follow Jesus. They didn't have anything to do first. There's no questions about what it was going to cost them. They, they knew what the cost was right then, and they left it behind to follow him. So what makes a committed follower different? Let me give you a couple thoughts here. First, a committed follower follows Jesus because of who he is, not for what they can get from him. Right? This isn't the casual crowd follower who, you know, there's a, there's a lunch. You know, hey, he fed 5,000 yesterday. He's, there's a big crowd gathering. Maybe we'll get lunch today. Right? Following Jesus for Peter and Andrew, and James, and John, it had nothing to do with convenience. This was very inconvenient. It had nothing to do with excitement or fascination. It had everything to do with who Jesus truly is. Who is Jesus? Well, listen, by the time Peter and Andrew followed Jesus, they, had already, they already knew who he was. If you go back to John chapter 1, Verses 40 through 42, we, we see that, that Andrew heard John speak about Christ. And what did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Well, he said that Jesus is the only begotten Son. John called Jesus the Christ. He's saying Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that we have been looking for. Uh, John also calls him the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Andrew heard that message. Andrew heard John's preaching about who Jesus is. And when, John, when Andrew heard John speak of Christ, he sought to know Christ personally. It wasn't about what Jesus could necessarily do for him, some miracle or something. He was looking to Jesus. 
if, if Jesus is the Son of God, if he's the Messiah, I want, to know, I want to be with him. I want to know him personally. After spending time with Jesus, uh, John 1.39 tells us that he goes and he got his brother Peter, brought him to Jesus. So Peter also believed. Philip followed Jesus in John 1.43. Uh, and then he goes and he gets his brother Nathaniel. So at first, Nathaniel doubted. He said, uh, uh, can anything good come out of Nazareth, right, when, when Nathanael heard of Jesus? But when Jesus revealed to Nathanael that he knew everything about him, Nathanael confessed, you are the Son of God. Listen, these men were just common men. These were not religious men, per se. They weren't the religious elites, the scribes, the, the Pharisees and such. These were the most common of men and they became committed followers of Jesus because they met the Savior. They met the Messiah, and their lives were changed. You see, when you know Jesus Christ, when you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the King of all, the Lord of all creation, it compels you, does it not, to know Him, to surrender to Him, to live for him. Many casual followers know a lot about Jesus, but don't have that personal relationship with him. Someone put it this way, perhaps you've heard this, the difference between heaven and hell is 18 inches, right? It's the difference between your head and your heart. You can know a lot about Jesus. You can, know who, you can even know who he is, who he claims to be, without a saving faith in him. But by the time Jesus comes to Peter and Andrew as is accounted in, back in Matthew chapter 4, commanding them to follow him, they could willingly do so without any hesitation. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. That's why. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they what? John 10. They follow me. They follow me. So a committed follower of Jesus follows Jesus because of who he is, not for what they can get from him. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you follow him because of who he is, not for what he can do for you, other than save you? And yes, he's our Lord and Savior, and he's our shepherd who provides for us, but if our relationship is based only on what we can get from him, we're going to be more of a casual, conditional, cautious follower. Committed follower number two is willing to give up everything to follow Jesus on his terms. Well, as we saw, Peter and Andrew, they, they leave their nets. James and John, same. They leave their father. They leave their livelihood. Committed followers of Jesus put no conditions on Jesus. They follow Jesus on his terms. So what are Jesus' terms? Do you want to know? Here on the, the screen is Luke 11. I'm sorry, Luke 14, 26. Jesus says this, and he actually turns and he says this to the crowd. He says, if anyone comes to me, follow me. If anyone follows me, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, look what it says. He cannot be my disciple." Pretty steep, isn't it? Pretty high terms. His terms are, 
Love Him supremely. We're to love Jesus Christ in such a way that it makes it appear that we hate everybody else in our life. Is a husband to hate his wife? Church? No. Love your wife as Christ loved the church, Paul wrote, right? So, is a parent supposed to hate their children? No. Are we supposed to honor our father and our mother? Yes. Jesus isn't teaching us to hate them. He's not commanding us to hate them. It's a comparison. It's simply to say that, that we love him supremely. Like, like we love him in such a way that, that he is first in our life. The truth is, when we love Jesus supremely, husbands, we love our wives just like we ought to love them, right? You know that, right, husbands? Man, you want to be a good husband? Be a good Christian, man. Love Jesus with all your heart. And you can even love your enemy, right? And love your wife. You can love your, if you can love your, your enemy, then you can love anybody in the world, right? I mean, anybody. When you love Jesus, right? We're to love Him supremely. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. You can only follow one master. You can't follow two masters. You're either going to hate the one and love the other or, or be devoted to one and despise the other. And He says you can't serve both God and money. There's only one. You can only love supremely one person, one thing in life. And Jesus says, it's to be me. Now you say, why is Jesus so egotistical? Why is it that Jesus demands all of us just to love him so much? I see you cringing out there. Is Jesus egotistical? No. Not at all. You see, Jesus Christ, our creator, he created us in such a way that when we love him well, we love everyone well and when we don't love him well we don't love anyone well the best way for this world to work is loving him first why because he's perfect he's he's the life giver he's the one if we will walk in his steps and love his word and walk in his word man, we will live well we will be a good citizen. We will treat our neighbor well. We'll love them as our own self, right? So it's not as if Jesus just is looking to hog all the love in the world. That's not what this is about. It's because he loved us and gave his life for us and, and that we're to love him in return and we are to, to share that love with the world. When we love him well, we love all well. So his term... His terms, if we're going to follow him, is you have to love me supremely. His second term, Luke chapter 9, it's here on the screen. Then he said to them all, if anyone wants to follow after me, he's about to give another term of following him, condition, let him deny himself. Deny himself. Now what is our tendency, church? Isn't, isn't man's tendency to indulge himself? Isn't this our human tendency, right? To do exactly what we desire. But as followers of Jesus, we're not to indulge ourselves. 
It's not about our comfort and ease. It's not about our appetites and urges. We're not to indulge our appetites. We're not to indulge our urges, our thoughts, our feelings. As a follower of Jesus, we must deny ourselves if we're going to follow Jesus. Why? Because our tendency is to follow someone else and to give our allegiance to something else within the world. That's our tendency. There's so many other things available for us to serve, right? To put first in our life. Our plans, our ambitions, our work, our play, our possessions, our pleasures, our health, our, our wealth, you name it. These things aren't wrong until any one of them become the driving force in our lives to the point that Jesus takes second place. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you must love me supremely. You must deny yourself. And the third condition or term that Jesus sets is there in Luke 9, 23, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Now a cross, as you know, was an instrument of death. When a person was to be crucified, they were made to carry their cross to the place of execution. So essentially, when a person was taking up their cross, when a person was taking up their cross and walking, they were a dead man walking is what they were. They were certain to die. And so it is. If we are going to follow Jesus Christ, we are going to have to live as walking dead men on this earth. Dead to self. Dead to sin. Dead to this world. Dead to all that it has to offer. A committed follower of Jesus is willing to give up everything to follow Jesus on his terms. Third, a committed follower of Jesus puts aside what they were making of themselves to let Jesus make something of them. Think about Peter and Andrew. Man, they, were, they had a career. They were making something of themselves. Successful fishermen. And, and when Jesus called them, they put that aside to let Jesus make something out of them. What did Jesus want to make out of them? He wanted to make them fishers of men. That's what he wanted to make out of them. You know, when we put our, our shallow dreams aside, our shallow goals, our meager experiences and existence and self-made trophies, when we lay all of, of that aside, Jesus can actually make something out of us. And so, the question is then, which are you, would you say? Are you the casual follower? Are you the cautious follower? Are you the conditional follower? Or are you the committed follower of Jesus? Which would you say you are? Which do you aspire to be? A committed follower of Jesus knows Jesus personally and is in a growing relationship with him. Loves Jesus supremely above all else, following in his steps, giving completely of themselves to him. And it's a committed follower of Jesus who surrenders to Jesus completely to make of your life what pleases him. I think we would all tonight aspire to be a committed follower of Jesus, right? I think that's our heart. I believe it is. 
a word of caution. Being a committed follower of Jesus today doesn't guarantee you'll be one tomorrow. I think we can use Peter as the perfect example of this. There was a time later in Peter's life, months later, 40 months later, so 36 months later, 40, where it tells us this is Mark 14, 54, that Jesus followed, uh, excuse me, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. Remember what happened? Remember what led up to that? Jesus was arrested. Peter and the disciples, they fled. Peter went to the arrest of Jesus, uh, the, excuse me, the, the, the trial of Jesus. He stood off at a distance and he, he watched Jesus, but there was this distance between him and Jesus. He backed off. Why? Because he was cautious, because he feared for his own life. Still following, but there was distance between him and Jesus. We've all been there, haven't we? Where there becomes some distance between us and him, right? Perhaps there was a time when you were a committed follower, more committed than you would say you are today, and maybe there is some distance that has grown between you and the Lord. You know what happens? Distance leads to denial. Remember, Peter (laughs) followed afar off, and then He's like, I don't know that guy. He's cursing, right, to prove his point three times. And, and remember the, the rooster crows, and he goes out and he weeps bitterly. Just because we're committed to following Jesus doesn't mean that, we're, that we'll never allow some distance to grow. We need to recognize when that distance grows and realize that it can lead to denial. There, there are folks that, that I know that at one time were very committed followers of Jesus that don't live anything like a Jesus follower today. I would say by the way they're living, they're in open denying, denial of, of Jesus. And I think we would be wise just to say, you know, I, I need to be cautious of myself because, right, Paul said, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. Right? I think we would be wise not to say, I would never do what Peter did. Oh, Peter had just said he would never do what he shortly did thereafter, right? Aren't you glad, though, that Jesus sought Peter out after the resurrection, right? Remember that? Jesus sent word to Peter. He's like, Tell Peter, I want to see him. You see, that's just such good news, isn't it? Because even when we have some growing distance between us and the Lord and maybe to some degree begin denying the Lord, maybe publicly or in certain circles, we're we're ashamed of Christ. I'm so thankful that, that Jesus still seeks us out. And when Peter went to see Jesus, it says that his spirit revived. His spirit revived. Does your spirit need reviving? Does it tonight? Has there been a growing distance between you and Christ? Let him revive your spirit tonight. What kind of a follower of Jesus are you? Be a committed follower of Jesus on his terms. Amen?